Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Greetings from the Garden State of New Jersey. This is Ringside with Reading, Boxing History from Yesteryear, brought to you by the Sports History Network. I am your host, Frank Redding. In this segment, ladies and gentlemen, I am going to discuss the boxer-wrestler contests that have taken place over the years. Some were staged or worked, which means predetermined ending, not on the level, and others were shoots, which means they were legitimate matches. The first match I'm going to cover in some detail took place on December 2nd, 1963 in Salt Lake City, Utah. The participants were Judo Gene LaBelle, who was a AAU Judo champion in the early 1950s on several different occasions. He opposed Milo Savage, who was a fringe light heavyweight and middleweight contender, journeyman status. LaBelle was a Hollywood bit actor and stuntman, and in this fight he represented judo. However, I'm going to mention this because he had a hundred or maybe close to a thousand matches as a professional wrestler. He is the brother of promoter Mike LaBelle, and his mother was Eileen Eaton, promoter on the West Coast. And incidentally, Eaton is the first woman to be inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame in 2002. This fight would not be sanctioned in other states, reason being it was classified as a duel not a fight. Both men were superbly conditioned and were gee tops. Many people were in fear for LaBelle's life, as Savage was a fairly good puncher and known as a dangerous contender. LaBelle was chosen by Ed Parker to represent the martial arts in this fight due to the fact that he was one sadistic bastard and also he was a well-known hooker and shooter which is known in the wrestling business as a person who could really get down the business and end the fight. This fight both combatants were superbly conditioned and were geetops. Jim Beck wrote an article that 
was the beginning origins of this contest. Beck stated that no person wearing their pajamas, which was a reference to anyone who practiced the martial arts, could defeat a legitimate boxer in a one-on-one -on -one contest. Beck had also made fun of Asians and the martial arts in general. However, he did not fight this fight. Milo Savage was chosen. LaBelle ended up knocking out Milo Savage unconscious. And this fight is considered by many as the grandfather of the mixed martial arts. It took place on December 2nd, 1963, ladies and gentlemen. The next fight I'm going to speak about took place on June 26th of 1976. It was a legitimate fight and it featured heavyweight champion of the world Muhammad Ali in boxing and Antonio Inoki, a legendary wrestler from Japan. It took place in Tokyo, Japan. Ali wore gloves and Inoki did not. The match was scheduled for 15 rounds with two judges, one representing boxing, one representing ref wrestling, and a referee none other than Jean LaBelle. Ali learned to hype fights by imitating gorgeous George Wagner, professional wrestler. Rules were established to favor the boxer. This match was supposed to originally been a work, but circumstances changed and it turned into a legitimate shoot. Anoki was given many limitations, only stood up several times upright during the whole contest. He laid on his back and tried to hook the back of Ali's left leg with his right foot. Throughout the fight, Ali suffered severe blood clots and was hospitalized briefly. He land, threw and landed only a half dozen punches throughout the fight. How he hit someone laying on the canvas? Ali knew better than to go to the ground with Inoki where he would be out of his element. The judges scored the fight as follows. Endo, the wrestling judge, scored 74-72 for Ali. Toyama, the boxing judge, scored 72-68 for Inoki. And referee Jean LaBelle called it 71 to 71, a droll, the final decision, a stalemate. It was a very forgettable night, ladies and gentlemen, an overhyped disappointment. And also, one of the forefathers of the upcoming Ultimate Fighting Challenge and Mixed Martial Arts. On the undercard of this fight, and Shea Stadium. Queens, New York, on the Bruno San Martino Stan Hansen fight, which took place on June 25th, 1976, New York. Andre the Giant of Mammoth Proportions challenged Chuck Wepner, who was a 
fringe heavyweight contender and the inspiration for the Rocky films. This, after some research, was discovered to be a work. Wepner wore gloves. Andre did not. Wepner looked like a little twerp. He could not hold the giant off, and after three rounds, Andre entertained the crowd and decided he had enough and threw Wepner over the top rope. Another man I'm going to concentrate on in this segment was former heavyweight champion of the world in the 1920s, Jack Dempsey. He came back and July of 1940, at the age of 45, and fought a total of three wrestlers with gloves on and under strictly boxing rules. On July 1st, 1940, in Atlanta, Georgia, Dempsey knocked out wrestler Cowboy Luttrell in a legitimate contest. Dempsey had not fought in nearly a decade and said he trained mostly on cigars and did not train for a minute for this fight. Once again, a boxing match and both men wore gloves. On July 15th, Dempsey beat professional wrestler Wild Bull Curry in Detroit, Michigan. Curry did somewhat better than Luttrell, however he was stopped. And July the 29th in Charlotte, North Carolina, in two rounds, Dempsey knocked out Elish Bashara. These men, ladies and gentlemen, were very foolish to step into a boxing ring with former heavyweight champion even though he didn't train at all, if you know anything about Jack Dempsey and his background, he was brutal, vicious, and showed no mercy on anyone. On March 28th of 1999, at WrestleMania 15, another match took place between a boxer and a wrestler. It featured Eric Butterbean Esch against wrestler Bart Gunn. I originally thought this was a work, however I discovered it was a legitimate shoot, and both men wore boxing gloves and fought under boxing rules. Vinny Pazienza was the referee for this fight. In 34 seconds, Butterbean disposed of Bart Gunn. It was short-lived evening. On March 30th of 2008, WrestleMania 24, Floyd Mayweather knocked out, stopped, big show, Paul White, WrestleMania 24, which I believe to be a work. Just don't take my word for it, ladies and gentlemen. If these fights are shoots or works, I can possibly be mistaken, but generally speaking, as a rule, the wrestler has the advantage in this type of contest, especially if he is allowed to wrestle. 
And if the boxer wears gloves, he's strictly at limitations. Now, if the boxer is ungloved and allowed to use street fighting tactics and possibly apply them, then the game is more equaled up, in my opinion. However, the bottom line is these fights, for the most part, do not benefit the sport of boxing or professional wrestling as a rule. I'm going to close out, ladies and gentlemen, by saying this is Frank Redding, your host from Ringside with Redding, and I'm saying to all, be happy, be healthy, and be safe. Until next time. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I hope that you enjoyed this recent episode presented by the Sports History Network and were able to learn some good old-fashioned sports history knowledge nuggets. I started the Sports History Network back in 2020 with the mission to help podcasters find a community of like-minded sports history nerds as well as helping aspiring podcasters to start their own shows. We have a little bit over 30 shows on the network right now covering all sorts of sports history, but as far as I'm concerned, we're just at the toothpick in the ocean moment, you know, that can't even figure it out because there's so much more coming. We wanted to create the ultimate headquarters for sports yesteryear, starting with Podcast Network and our website, but we're going to continue to move into other mediums as well. And here's the cool part, because we want you to be part of our team. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast, or maybe being a guest on one of our shows, or who knows, maybe even writing an article for us over on the website. Seriously, all you got to do is reach out to us on the contact page over at sportshistorynetwork.com. You can be as technologically savvy as a Neanderthal tapping on a stone trying to figure out this whole hieroglyphics thing back in the day. Again, it doesn't matter, because even if you don't understand the whole podcast space, we have a production team that can pretty much help you out with doing everything. All you gotta do, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com, head to the contact page, fill it out. That message goes right to me, and I'll reach out to you as soon as I can. But for now, dude, I'm through if you're through.